Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point, the B2B marketing podcast where we show you the proof in the form of case studies and success stories. And we get straight to the point with your hosts and founders of ProofPoint Marketing, Mike and Gabby Grinberg. Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. We're excited to have Camille Trent join us on the show today. You may recognize Camille from such LinkedIn hits as the 2021 Sales Oddity. And Camille is also head of content at Dooley and recently launched a podcast called Content Logistics. So it's no surprise that today we're going to talk about content. Camille, it's great to have you with us and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for that intro. I hope that is what I am uh, known for. (laughs) We'll find out. We'll see. Ground control to Major Tom. (laughs) (laughs) It's that that time in the the day. Uh, Well, awesome, Camille. Thanks for for chatting with us. And like Gabby said, we're looking forward to talking about content. So I know what we really want to focus on is our favorite topic, content repurposing. Um, And I know you've been a Dooley only for a few months, but we want to chat about some of the things that you were doing at your former role over at Marketer Hire. So uh, I guess let's let's jump into that. I know specifically we're going to talk about kind of how to leverage uh, webinar content for pretty much everything. Yeah, so I can uh, dive in with uh, with some of the proof, like why why yeah you should care about this uh but basically um we uh, at marketer hire saw like hundreds of high and in- high intent leads come in from from executing this strategy um and so that's that's the why like that's that's why you should care about this topic and care about uh this show specifically um and then if you'd like i can just back up into like to where it started as well yeah and really quick i think we should because you know high intent leads means different things to different people so let's define in this case what high intent means because i think that really sets the stage pretty, pretty well yeah yeah for sure so um so marketer hire is is a marketplace for finding freelance talent right and so um the kind of next steps that we wanted people to take was to fill out our uh, basically a brief um like fill out a, a brief uh, kind of kind of questionnaire on you know what what uh, what kind of company you're at, what you're looking for, um, the project. Um, so it's a pretty lengthy form. Um, and so there's some, some friction there in kind of getting people to, to go through it. Um, and, uh, and so these, like the, the high intent leads were people that were clicking on ads that came from, uh, repurposed webinar content, which I can talk, uh, to what those looked like later. But, um, but that's how they were coming in. Um, and then they were going straight to that form, filling it out. Um, and, uh, and you know, some of those were, were converting as well. And so, so that's sort of what I mean by willing to, to fill out uh, uh, several question uh, form um, so that they could take the next step to hire a marketer. It's interesting. I don't want to take us too far off topic, but something just popped into my head. I mean, if you think about like, best practices from say like whatever 2015 and before it was like you know make your forms as short as possible you know a couple of fields because you do you want to kind of remove as much friction and whatnot and now we're almost going the pendulum swinging the other way where it's like well no 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 let's really make sure people really want what we're offering because otherwise we're just flooding the sales team with god knows what kind of crappy lead quality so i'm curious like on your thoughts of where where's that happy medium for you yeah, that's a good question. So uh, I think it depends on what your product is, right? Like, so so Dooley is a completely different business model, um, and both both are good, by the way. But um, but with Dooley, it's it's um, it's product led, right? And it's um, software, and so there's an easy entry of um, experiencing the the free trial, right? And so it really is just like connecting Salesforce, and that's it. Um, that's the whole, that's the whole form and there's, there's no form. Um, but then for something like a marketer hire, um, there is sort of like an ideal, um, customer and fit. Um, and it's a little bit more custom, I would say like finding one, like matching, uh, 
we have to like match people with the right marketer. And to do that, we need some context of uh, their business, their stage, uh, where are their gaps, you know, like what do they need help with in terms of marketing? And then even like a little bit of the project scope and what they're trying to accomplish. And so because it's the solution is more is more custom and because essentially the solution is people like rather than um, a product or a software, um, it kind of warrants like a, a form and even like a, a longer form uh, rather than rather than just an entry point into the product. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring it up. I think that the key there is, is it depends based on the your business model and the business you're in. Because, yeah, I, I can definitely echo that in terms of if you're in a service based business of any kind, you're going to need actually a little bit more. And the other thing I would, I guess, maybe even add to that is it's usually not the form that creates the friction or removes the friction. It's everything you're doing prior to them getting to that form, right? So if you're not educating your person enough, then yeah, that 15 field form is gonna create a lot of friction. But if they're well-educated, they're not gonna care. They understand why they need to fill out those fields and whatnot, or yeah. vice versa. If you've already, you know, done, you know, again, on the, from a software perspective, like you said, if they're, software led then yeah you don't even need the form the education happens once they get into the product yeah yeah i think it's it goes back to like giving uh, and we'll get into this but giving people all the context and all the yeah. content that they need to be able to make a decision and then once you once i make a decision mm -hmm. i'm willing to fill out a longer form because i've like chosen this business as um or i've identified this business as the right fit right and so i think especially for something like consulting like i i expect to have to go through whether it's a longer form or a longer discovery call i expect that that to be part of the process um in fact like i would be a little bit worried if it wasn't <laughs> um and then yeah for something like software i also expect to be able to uh experience like a free trial right and so it's kind of uh, goes back to kind of like user um well yeah user love and user expectations in general yeah that's gabby go ahead uh no i was just gonna say uh let's 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 get back to our topic at hand. I know this is a fascinating topic and I, I'm glad that we explored it, but let's set the stage up for our listeners. So Camille, you're going to talk to us today about um, a series of webinars that you helped produce at Marketer Hire. And um, so let's talk a little bit about what the, you know, what the purpose of, uh, for those webinars were, you know, what was the intent, what were you trying to do? And then more specifically, let's talk about the content repurposing, because that is what we all want to know about. I mean, everybody uh, nowadays is thinking, okay, how do I create more online experiences for my ideal customer? Webinars is the solution because we're really not doing a ton of in-person meetings. I mean, even though they're still happening, but um, but webinars are more accessible. They're more available. They're they're not necessarily easier to put on, but let's say the barrier to entry, the barrier to getting people to come on, is a lot is a lot less than committing to an in person event. So let's talk about kind of what were those that that series of webinars? What was that? You know, what, what was it all about, and what was the um, intent behind them? And then specifically, how did you go about repurposing? all of that content? Yeah, yeah, good question. So um, with any sort of um, big pillar type play, like um, pillar content in general, you have to take the time to develop like a strategy um, behind it. So for something like marketer hire, the topic could have just been marketing, right? Um, especially because we had different marketers like that, that covered growth marketing, the covered email marketing. So we we could have kept it really broad. Um, and then I think one thing that we did that was smart or ended up being a good play was to find like the, the niche. And so uh, for us, that was, um, so CMOs, like we, we decided, Hey, like, we're going to talk to CMOs. They're the decision makers. They're the ones that are wanting to like build the perfect marketing team. Um, and we want to be able to show them that, um, or like how we fit into that, um, and how it doesn't all have to be in-house marketers or full-time marketers, like the different ways that you can go about building a team and, and who you should think about hiring first. And so, so we, we really like went about it, um, 
in terms of talking about marketing ops, like marketing operations and hiring. And we're like, we're just going to stay like, we're going to stay there. There's lots of other tempting things to talk about within marketing, um, but just keeping it focused. And so once we had that focus of like, we're just going to cover um, marketing ops and we're just going to be talking to CMOs, then everything else got a little bit easier because all of the questions kind of revolved around that of, um, you know, who who do you hire first? Um, uh, do you hire like a, a growth marketer or a brand marketer first, for instance? Uh, when do you bring in freelancers? So these were all questions that were I would say product led, right? Um, where that they they all were at that intersection of what our actual expertise was, but then also like the product that we were able to provide. And so by keeping it focused, um, all of the answers that we got um, were things that made sense to use in our content later and that helped drive our mission. And so it's always cool to see that because we weren't the people at answering the questions, we were asking the questions. Um, and then we had, you know, top tier CMOs from well known companies, basically talking about how they would use the product, even if they weren't using marketer hire, they were talking about how and when they use freelancers, which was essentially our product. And so, so that was that's the number one thing when you just when you're starting out um, a webinar, starting out a podcast is figuring out like, not just what the topic is, but like what where's like that niche where you need to to play and that will get you the type of content um, that you can repurpose. So it starts with strategy. I'm curious with uh, one of the one of the thing, which is uh, how did you decide on webinars being that that engine versus like a podcast, like you mentioned, or a video series or, a, you know, a million other different things you can do that in theory can have the same effect. Why webinars? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it was it was two things. One, like it's it's easy to repurpose a webinar into a podcast. And so even though we didn't end up doing that, um, I think by starting with a webinar, you're able to uh, create that community as well. And that's something that you can't do as well or really at all, I guess, with with a podcast because um, there's not people live. You're not able to um, to feed off of the audience like for some of those questions and for basically customer research. Um, like sometimes the questions that would be in the chat um, would give us insight into objections, right? Or give us insight into, you know, what our audience cared about. So I think it's, um, it's smart because you can repurpose the webinar into a podcast. You can't you can't do it the opposite way. So that was kind of reason number one. And then two, just to also kind of get the community play going. I love it. I love it. I'm actually really um, enthusiastic about that response because it makes a lot of sense. I think that you know, don't get me wrong. We love podcasts here. <laughs> we actually have two podcasts ourselves, and we love being on podcasts. And we like consuming podcasts, but I think it's a really smart insight that you just shared with us. And I want to underscore that for our listeners is that, you know, with a pod, generally a podcast is a more passive form of content uh, consumption because there, you know, yes, it's, you know, your, your episode could be released on, let's say a Wednesday, um, but somebody might listen to it on Friday, right? Or they might listen to it on Saturday. They might not listen to it in chronological order. They might not listen to, they might only listen to one episode because they're really interested in this one particular guest. Um, and the rest of the content is maybe not as valuable to them or interesting to them. So, uh, which which is interesting because I think that's also the beauty of a podcast is that it allows your guest, uh, or I'm sorry, your listener to sort of pick and choose how and when they listen. But a webinar, by contrast, like you like you mentioned, Camille, is a lot more active. People are actively participating. They're choosing to come at this exact time, at this location, whether it's virtual or online, and they're actively, or at least hopefully, they're actively engaged in asking questions and responding to prompts by the, by the host and by the, the guest speakers. So, um, brilliant, brilliant distinction there. I wanted to just call that out. So you've set the stage for us. You know, you've, you've, you were really deliberate about choosing the exact target audience with whom you wanted this content to resonate with, the exact um, personas that would be reflected in your guest speakers, and then also the fact that the medium was going to be webinar, not 
you know, something else. Um, let's dive into next the repurposing of this content because what comes out of a webinar is, you know, hours of recorded content, both visual and audio. But then also I'm, I'm based on some of the things you mentioned, you also had a chat function. So what, what you know, what, what were the pieces that you were um, repurposing and how were, and how were you looking, you know, what was your strategy when you thought about the audio, the video, and even some of that written dialogue, that chat content, what was your strategy? What was your plan of attack when you said, we have to repurpose this content? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, I had seen other people, um, like specifically Chris Walker, my like everybody at this point, I think uh, knows from LinkedIn. But um, a couple things that stood out to me with what he was doing was, one, I had this light bulb moment of, oh, like the old school um, talk radio is is kind of back, not not in the content itself, but in like the formatting of the content of people essentially calling in, right, um, through through this webinar to to ask questions. Um, so that was that's one part um, on the creation of the webinar. But then on the back end, like how he was uh, repurposing um, that content for social and in those, um, you know, bite sized chunks and uh, there, there are others as well. Um, but, but the topic that he was covering was probably the more similar to what marketer hire was doing at the time. And so, so that's why I felt strongly, um, that that would work, or at least it was worth testing. And then we really didn't have to invest, um, too much. I felt like to repurpose it. And so the strategy going into it was, um, to hire a, uh, a video editing agency. Um, and so had done a little bit of research on that and kind of identified a few um, and uh, went forward with one. Um, and then to, for the actual recording of the webinars, we just use Zoom. So um, so not, not in the highest quality um, audio or video, um, but an easy way to get started and technology that we already had. And so really like that was that was all the tech that was needed. Um, and so afterwards, what would happen is um, uh, I would download the episode, um, like directly from zoom. And then I would, um, well, actually during the episodes, I would often like take notes. Like when, uh, I felt like there was a strong timestamp of, oh, I really liked this answer to this question. Um, or yeah, whatever it is, if something stood out, I would kind of make note of it and, uh, to make the back end work a little bit easier. Um, but then yeah, after the webinar, usually like the, the day after I would go through, um, especially listen to those things that I had already flagged, um, as being probably the, the strongest answers. And then I would, um, yeah, suggest like essentially like do the, do the editing on paper. Like I would say, I like these clips. I like these clips. And then I would write, um, headlines. And so I'd try and do, you know, two, two or three headlines like per clip. And the, the purpose for that is um, we knew that we wanted to use these in ads. And so having multiple different, multiple headlines, um, multiple clips that we can test um, just helps to, um, helps us not waste money, basically, like uh, helps us to, to test early uh, and often like what was working um, on the front end so that we could take those learnings over to the next webinar and the next webinar, right? And so, so yeah, we I'd usually have, um, I think like two or three um, like strong, like strong clips to start with from those. Um, for, for some attendees, it might be our guests, I should say, it might be more like six or seven, like some, some of them were really strong in terms of what worked for us to repurpose um, and what kind of drove home like our message and it helped educate people. But but yeah, that was kind of some of the back end work. And then from there, I would uh, basically like fill out um, the brief through the video editor um, through the video video editing agencies like portal, I would fill out a brief and I'd say, you know, these are the headlines I want. These are the cuts that I want um, and send it off. And then we would get that within a day or two um, and be able to, to start testing those um, paid. But I should, I should mention that before, before we ever launched any of them as paid, um, I would, I would typically take what I felt was the strongest one um, or maybe uh, two, like in a week. And I would put that up on 
uh, organic social. And so that's just like an easy way that you can test before you, before you spend any uh, paid advertising money, <laughs> you can just put it up uh, on social. And so I put that on our company page. Sometimes I would upload it to my personal. Um, and that worked, that worked well for me because a lot of my audience were marketers too. And so, mm -hmm. so, so that doesn't always work if you're doing it from an employee account, but it worked this time. So, so I do both of those things. We kind of like gauge the reaction and have a, a, at least like a good, like uh, gut reaction on how, and how this would do for paid. And then at that point we would put some money behind it and um, test out the different uh, headlines. And then, you know, after like, a few days or a week, like just go forward with the one that was working the best. Um, yep. And so depending on the, the content and how evergreen it was, um, uh, that would depend on how long that we would leave it up there. But, uh, but we would do that for all the guests. Awesome. Yeah, that, that makes sense. One of, the, one of the things I was just thinking about that you mentioned earlier is, you know, you can, why webinars is you, you can, <clears throat> you didn't in this case, but <clears throat> excuse me, you can repurpose it into a, you know, a podcast if you want to. And I think that's, that's something like that I think a lot of people miss or don't think about. I think like, especially, I mean, we have these conversations with clients all the time where, you put the word podcast in front of them and they're like, Oh my God, we can't, we can't do a podcast. And then you start talking about, Oh, well, let's just do this little video series and let's do a webinar and this and the other. Like, okay, great, great, great. And they're like, okay, great. Now we're just going to take all these episodes we recorded and launch them as a podcast. Oh, okay. Now yeah. it's sort of all like, it, it's, it's the same thing, but people yeah. don't really think of it, especially if you're not a marketer, you don't, you know, you don't really think of it that way. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's partly a, a state of mind thing too. Cause I kind of felt that same way. Like while I have a, a podcast now, like it feels like it has to be more produced. Like it feels like a big production. Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, but just thinking about what's the difference, <laughs> like what's the difference right. between a webinar uh, and a podcast really, um, makes it a little bit less scary. I want to go back to, uh, something you mentioned about, identifying the clips, you know, identifying timestamps within the webinar uh, of your of your guests speaking. You know, for those that know you on LinkedIn and you have a, a pretty impressive following, and I think I think our listeners are going to know exactly who you are and they admire you and respect you for your deep knowledge and passion for content. I know I, I do. Um, but a lot of people struggle with content, um, especially non-marketers, um, but even marketers, even content marketers struggle with content. So I'm wondering, Camille, if you can give us a little bit of your content magic fairy dust, whatever it is that you, magic wand, whatever it is that you intrinsically know or feel, or if you use a framework, or if there is a... Um, certain formula that you use to identify, oh, this is a really strong piece of audio content or this video, this, you know, these, these three minutes of video clips, this is going to make a really strong video for LinkedIn or YouTube or whatever it is, uh, or Instagram, because I know you, you repurposed a lot of the webinar content for Instagram. I'm wondering if you can give us a little, a little sneak peek into how you look at content and how you determine what makes a good compelling piece of content. Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, that's a great question. So um, again, like uh, this is kind of a unique case, I guess, but because I was marketing to essentially myself, you know, I was marketing to other marketers. So, so I could identify more easily with the, um, the ICP that we're trying to, to go after. It was, it was really sometimes a filter of like, would I engage with this? You know, like, would I be interested in this? Um, it was a little bit different because we were, because I'm obviously not a CMO and we were more geared toward leadership. And so it's, you know, putting yourself like in that position of, okay, like if I had the pressure of, um, uh, you know, like hitting these numbers and scaling uh, a team fast, um, like who would I hire first? And so um, running through those hy those hypotheticals. And so uh, this is a boring answer, but uh, it all comes back to be like being where your customer is, right? Um, like being in um, the communities. Um, so for instance, like now that I'm at Julie, uh, those, those communities are more sales focused. And so it's, um, 
you know, uh, Rev Genius and um, Pavilion. And so, but then it's also LinkedIn, but it's been like sort of uh, me curating my feed, like trying to get more salespeople in there and connecting with more salespeople, reaching out to them, um, you know, setting up like one-on-one so that I can start to understand like how they, how they view the world and what they care about and how they talk even um, to, to uh, make that content um, better. Cause it's a little bit, it's a little bit like more uncomfortable than, than the other side of things. But, um, but I think as far as like a broad sort of um, framework, um, things that, things that worked well for the headlines were um, so direct quotes. Like, so for instance, um, I'm trying, so one of them, uh, the guy talked about how um, like growth marketers versus um, brand marketers and who should you hire first. Right. And so that's like an interesting concept that, um, that I like felt like people, people would care about. And so it was, you know, something about like, like who should you hire first? And, um, and maybe there was a version like with those two, like kind of pitted against each other. Um, another way is just, so, so sometimes it would, be, it would be the question itself. And then sometimes it would be like their quote as the answer, that would be the headline. So, um, so there's kind of like two different ways of going about the same thing. So question format or like the quote format that was like more of a statement of like growth marketers are, are always the best hire, you know what I mean? And then you're like, Oh, I, why? <laughs> and then, and so you're interested in that way. Um, or if it's a question, there's a natural, like, I need to know the answer type of thing. So, but the key is, is questions that your audience cares about, right? Like um, questions that they already have or, um, or, or, or have, but they wouldn't think to ask. And so, um, yeah, so, so those are some basic uh, frameworks, but, um, but really like the point of a headline or of good copy is like to get you to read the next thing, or in this case, get you to watch the thing. And so, um, so it was kind of figuring out like, what um, what do they care like most deeply about that they would need to to watch to find that answer? Something you just mentioned that I think is really important, especially like in your case, maybe not as much because like you said, you were targeting or talking to yourself to a certain extent, targeting yourself. But if you're in a new industry, if you're a marketer coming into a, a new place that you don't really know, you mentioned curating your feed. Talk, talk about that a little bit more because I think that's something that a lot of marketers miss or forget or just don't do on LinkedIn or really any other platform. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when I, when I joined Dually, like, and because it's fresh, I can say it can happen really fast, actually. Like the, the algorithm moves, moves really fast, um, based on whatever you've done that day or that week. And so, um, so for instance, when I first came on, you know, I knew my boss and um, some of my coworkers, um, and specifically, you know, the salespeople at my org, that they were going to be already connected into to our audience and to our customers. And so, um, so for me, it was kind of just starting with connecting uh, with all of my colleagues and coworkers, um, and then LinkedIn will naturally show you, oh, okay, so Mark liked this, Zoe liked this. Um, Ryan liked this. And so um, as like they would like these types of posts, um, I would try and, you know, connect with those same people or at least engage in their in their posts and follow them. Um, and so kind of taking advantage of the algorithm and how um, there are the, you know, the seven degrees or three degrees of like uh, uh, Kevin Bacon, kind of thinking about it like that of like, okay, let's start with like the, the close connections um, that I already have, uh, like my coworkers in this case, that I know are connected to salespeople, um, and then see uh, see in my feed, like, and just be very like aware of why why this stuff is in my feed because at the top it'll say, you know, Zoe liked this post, um, Ryan liked this post, and stuff. And so one, paying attention to why why they liked those things, especially if it was um, if it was a salesperson from our org liking that. Um, that tells me a little bit about the content that they like. Um, but then too, like um, taking the opportunity to connect with that person um, and to consume their content as well. Yeah, for sure. And one of the other things I'll throw out there too is what we'll usually do is at least I, I'll, I'll go in and um, go after, you know, specific keywords, hashtags, et cetera, and go just because it, it it's easy. It's, like, it's easier for us because we work with a bunch of different clients. So our feeds are maybe a little bit more, have a little more diversity to them but if you're internal to an org your feed can become very uh, insular to a certain extent i think it's it's important to also go out there and 
specifically seek out like, okay, let's look at what salespeople from these other, whatever, top three big companies in the industry that we're targeting are, are talking about, right? And connecting with them. Things yeah. Like that. Like it, so per like purposefully curating your feed, I think, like you said, is critical. Yeah, no, that, that gave me a couple other tips, I guess, too. So I think that's a good one about following the hashtags. Sometimes those can like overtake my feed. Like I don't like the the balance um, that they've struck there. I got really follow the hashtags as much as like using the hashtags to find the people who are in mm -hmm. there and then following yeah. the specific people. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I think some other things were what pages or groups are they in like within that community? So mm -hmm. for instance, on LinkedIn, um, like sales humor and daily sales, like those are those are ones that we um, partner with, anyways. Um, but I also know like they're big uh, hubs, you know, for for salespeople, and so that gives you like some insight into the content that they're consuming. Um, what you know, even just like being in the comments of those, like gives you a lot of insight. So. So that was another one um, that I'll bring up is like groups within the groups, right? So even if you're in a community, there's probably a sub community in there um, and uh, social, especially like it can be through hashtags or it can be through groups, but sub communities within the community. I'd love to spend more time talking about LinkedIn with you, Camille. So hopefully we can add a couple of questions in our lightning round, but sure. I did want to ask you a question um, about the uh, the webinar specifically, and kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of finding that golden piece of content. I'm assuming that when you put together the webinar and, and you had a team that was working, you know, I, I recognize that it wasn't just you, it was a team effort. You had a number of questions uh, that were asked specifically to your panel, but as a marketer and specifically putting your content hat on, when you were thinking about the webinar and listening to it and kind of um, anticipating the content that would come out of it, did you have specific goals um, from, a, from, from the content side of things that you were hoping to, to get out from the webinar? And, and, and if so, how did you go about sort of orchestrating that content to be teased out from your panel? Yeah. So I think, um, some some goals that we had with it were to for it to become a content flywheel right for it to like fuel itself and not only pay for itself but like um but really be like a an acquisition channel and uh a form of um a form of content um because we had a newsletter at that time we had a blog and so this was just kind of another format of content and i'll speak sometimes to how sometimes people just need to see it in a different way like they just need to consume the content in a different format and so if we were able to have assets in those different formats in you know audio video uh long form short form um then you just we'd have like more at bats um for for people to to know what we do um consume the content and uh potentially potentially convert and so um, so for me, like um, being in charge of, of social, um, I selfishly like wanted it for it to kind of fuel the organic social play. Um, but I was also excited um, to use organic social to test uh, the, the paid channels as well. Um, and, you know, felt felt like there was a lot of like opportunity there that I didn't see other people doing of of repurposing this this type of content which i felt like was really valuable um as an ad like i, I saw a lot of ads that looked like ads right or, or that were that were ads that weren't content and so i liked the idea of um i think just in general like our team liked the idea of uh being able to have this be a repeatable play and so ultimately the goal is obviously to to drive uh drive, drive conversions and so what i liked about this play was it helped us do two things like the the long-term content strategy and marketing strategy of um uh that, that comes with a webinar and that comes with like slowly building a community um but then then also to help that fuel um social and then i think uh eventually um talking about using that in um in the newsletter or for or in like long form content like knowing that that was a, a possibility but on, on the short term, being able to use it for for ads and be able to get kind of like that instant gratification and an instant um, 
revenue um, that came from that. And so, so that's what I mean about like it fueling itself, like it fueling itself in the short term, um, but also it making sense for kind of just like a long form, like um, uh, less, less pressure, like on the, um, on the, the content side of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the things we always talk about with, with clients is the more you can make your content engine become sort of as part of your everyday workflow, the better off you're going to be, right? Because then it's, because at the end of the day, you need those subject matter experts, either they're either going to be customers or they're going to be internal. They don't have time. They don't want to spend the time, et cetera. You got to make it easy for them to take part in this content creation game. Um, so yeah, I think that that makes total sense. Um, the other thing I, I like what you said is, you know, it's an ad that didn't really look like an ad. I think that's important. I mean, what's the, I can't remember who had the quote or who's, said it or whatever, but it's, you know, the best advertising is the, the, the ones that doesn't actually look like advertising. I think that's, you're seeing that more and more these days. You you've, Definitely has been happening on B2, in, in the B2C world for a while, but you're seeing a little bit more on the B2B side where people are trying non-traditional things with, with, with whatever formats they're doing, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, and we, I, I would say in general, like some of the more content focused like ads like tended to do pretty well and so i guess what i mean by that is it could be this play of of taking um a clip from a video um from uh, especially if it's from an influencer or an expert so um so for instance um we had like Nick Sharma on who's big, he's huge in like the D2C world. And in fact, like if you Google D2C guy, he's the first, first one to come up. And so, um, so that was really helpful in driving attendance to that. And it did really well in as an ad, but then um, another guy who, who we didn't get as much attendance from, um, but had a lot of, um, had a lot to, say and talk about on like the growth marketing front, which was a really hot topic for us. And then just a really hot topic in general, um, his ads actually like performed the best. And so, so sometimes it's, it's the name, you know, obviously like the, the brand recognition of like a big name, um, for the webinar, like that's helpful. That's, that's helpful for especially getting attendees. Um, and it's, it's helpful for getting that credibility in the ads. Um, but it still was interesting that at least in this case, um, the, the content and like the relevancy to the audience is still number one. Like, even if you don't have that huge name, cause, um, the best performing ads was probably like the least recognized, um, or, um, like not, I wouldn't say like popular, but, um, but yeah, least recognized name, like out of the bunch. And, and that makes total sense to me because it's, you know, for the webinar, someone is committing whatever it is, a half hour, hour, hour and a half, however long this thing is of their time. And they're much more likely to commit that time if it's, oh, wow, that's this guy that I look up to and I know. With an ad, you are interrupting or whatever it is, right, their their flow. And at that point, it's more about the content than about who it is. Although, you know, if it's a recognizable face, for example, that might make them stop and go, oh, yeah, let me, let me take a look at this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Camille, give us a sense of sort of the the timeline and the shelf life uh, of the content. So my understanding is it was a series of webinars. Um, kind of tell us how long did it take to, you know, prep for the webinar? Um, what was the turnaround time for capturing the content that you wanted to repurpose and chop up and cut up into different formats? And then how long did you use the content, you know, and, and, and kind of also talk us through the dissemination of that content? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So, um, so you kind of have to think about your channels in advance, like when, obviously when you're repurposing. So for instance, we did some Instagram stories for, so for those, um, uh, you know, talking to uh, a brand, um, a brand consultant um, who specialized in Instagram and, um, and her kind of saying, I would go with like seven, seven seconds, you know, for, for, a, for a good Instagram story. So trying to keep it in that, but also knowing that like 15, 15 was as long as we could go. Um, so keeping that in mind. And then for like the feed, more of the feed content, um, it would typically be like a minute, maybe two minutes um, in terms of the length. And so that's kind of what we're going for. But again, like if it was, if it was really good content, um, uh, 
we would just try and capture that, like whether that was short or long. And so, um, but those in general, I think were the links that we're going for. And then in terms of running the ads, um, so I'm not, I should mention, like, I'm not like a paid ad specialist. Like I was supporting on like the, the content and like the social side of things. But um, I know, uh, I know that we were running some of these for, for weeks, um, potentially like a month. Um, but it really depended on, you know, how, how well the ad did. Right. And, um, and kind of the audience fatigue on it. So I know a good, you know, rule of thumb can be like three to four on like the, the frequency um, and not wanting to necessarily go over that. Like, you, I mean, I think we've all seen like ads 10 times and, and like, and be like really sick of them by like the 10th time. So, so there's definitely such, such a thing as ad fatigue. And so even if it is good content, um, and you haven't maybe seen, uh, or stopped to, to view it the first few times, like, um, sometimes it just needs to be a different thing for you to stop in the feed and, and actually consume it. So, so taking into consideration those types of things, but, um, but they would usually run for, for a few weeks. And, and so th thank you for sharing that. And then in terms of the repurposing the content on the organic side, you know, posting it to the company LinkedIn channel or other com social ch company owned social channels, um, how long were you supporting, you know, the, the, so you had the paid campaign going, but then, um, how frequently were you posting or reposting the content from the webinar during the campaign period organically? Yeah. So it would probably just be how fast that we could, we could get it back, you know, cause the first, um, the first few weeks, like it's, it's still like in learning mode of, of, um, and it's a little bit slower in like the back and forth between the agency and like finding the clips to cut up and, and all of that. So it would really depend on like how fast I could get it out. Um, but my aim was kind of to use those as a way to promote the next webinar too. So that's an, mm -hmm. another way that you can think about it. Um, and so I would, you know, do at least one a week. Um, but ideally, Ideally, too, um, but we were we promote the the next webinar with, you know, an actual like image promo with the next with the picture of the next guest, too. So I don't want to overload the feed with just like event promotions. So this was something that I started running into of um, just doing this like so often and, uh, you know, wanting people to to show up, but we also had like email running to, to remind people. And so, um, and so we started kind of relying more on stories, um, whether that was uh, LinkedIn stories and Instagram stories to kind of do some of those promotions to keep the rest of the feed clean. Mm -hmm. But the nice thing about repurposing the content as a video is it would be less promotional. It would just be like a, a clip or an insight from that video. And then I'd have kind of a CTA at the end of the text post, you know, talking that, oh, by the way, this is from our webinar series and we're doing it tomorrow or whatever. Um, right. And so, um, so that's kind of how I thought about that. That's great. Yeah. The, the video clips are tend can be used more as informational, right. Rather than promotional. So that's, that's a, another way to, to repurpose the webinar content. Um, well, I think you've shown us the proof. I think it's time to get to the point. What do you think, Mike? I think it is. So, Camille, um, this show is all about, you know, the proof in which you tell us about your success story, how you did it, why you did it, and what was the outcome. But we want to take that a step further and actually help educate our listeners and actually give them step-by-step -step guidance and tools on how they can um, replicate your success. So let's talk about... Um, you You mentioned that, you know, this was a, a team effort. You had it. You had a, a a team of marketers assembled, uh, plus you had some outside support. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, that team structure? Who was sort of the, the running point for this initiative? And what did the makeup of the team look like? Yeah, yeah, sure. So there were four, um, four of us on the marketing team. And then I think like a fifth was added like during, uh, like during this show, basically. So, um, so basically, uh, Tracy, our director of marketing, she was the host of the show. Um, and so, so in charge of the show, um, in that way. And then May, um, was our, I think, 
senior editor at the time and she um would come up with the questions um for the show right um so she would she would prep those questions um and then i uh wrote wrote all the copy for the the landing pages for the promotional pieces and then repurposed the content so managed the agency um, and uh, and gave them the copy so that we could repurpose the content and then would uh would work with um our growth team which was mark at the time and then later he added um he added an employee as well um and yeah work with them to to basically get really organized um, in terms of just folders like on uh, Google Drive is how I would do it of you know, here's all the prom promotional content, here's the raw assets, here's the final assets. It's essentially like how I broke it down. Um, and yeah, and then so we just like hand over all of the the ready made assets like that were ready to go for ads um, to him. And then also worth noting is he had his own software so that if he wanted to try out um, any other headlines, like he could, he could do that. And then later we kind of um, refined the process so that we could easily um, put that in as an agency order, you know, of like, let's, um, let's do the same clip, but with a different headline, like, like where we could kind of like add those on to the orders. Um, but yeah, but that's, that was like the whole team involved in, in this, I think you could feasibly do it with, uh, with two marketers. It also depends on if you have that in-house in resource, which is always nice if you have like a video resource kind of in-house. Um, but it works really well, honestly, to do it, to do it at the ag agency, but really you need somebody who is either the subject matter expert, um, who can like lead the discussion or, um, or somebody that can can be the host, but then uh, invite like the the types of people um, who are the experts. If that makes sense, like are mm -hmm. the subject matter experts, and so mm -hmm. you need that person. Um, and then you don't even need, I think, like the the landing pages um, that we had in it. Like you could use just a you know the Zoom invites or the Zoom landing pages. Lots of people do that, and I think that would work fine. Um, and then I think you just yeah need somebody with with a copy eye slash like an understanding of of social or of ads depending on what you're repurposing it for, and um, yeah and then I think you just need a, a video editor or an agency to help you with the production. Yeah, awesome. I think that's important. What you just mentioned is you kind of need that you know what I like to call the minimum viable content, right? Like what's the minimum thing that you can do to get it out there and get feedback? You're, you this thing is not going to fail because you used a Zoom landing page versus a whatever a HubSpot landing page or like a custom design landing page, right? It's going to fail because the content didn't perform or because you targeted it incorrectly or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point is that, yeah, we like to maybe blame like the designs or the production quality or this could have been better, but, um, but that's really like the reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. And one thing I'll throw out there too is like, yeah, I think you definitely could do it with two marketers if you wanted to. I mean, like some of our, for, for our podcast, you know, half of them get, we have a professional that does all the, you know, the editing and the cutting, but then some of the stuff that we record uh, ourselves after the fact, like our Friday episodes, they get posted. I'm just doing all that in the script, right? I get the, we record it on Thursday, I cut up a few things. It takes whatever, an hour and a half, and there's four videos out the door. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, yeah. You're speaking to the point too. And uh, that you could do with one person, right? Like there's plenty of people that have a, have their own podcast that use uh, use Descript or use use Zoom, and yeah. uh, and that's it. Like that's that's like all you really need to to get started. Um, yeah. I would say to kind of like yeah, put more gasoline on the fire to be able to kind of like do that full flywheel effect. Like um, it's nice to to have to have more than that, right? Um, and in our case, we did, and so it was it was nice to be able to split it up that way because it really was like playing to everybody's strengths. Um, but yeah, you could get this done with, with one person. What do you, I'm curious, what, what do you think? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Gabby. No, go ahead. I was going to ask like, uh, what do you think are the biggest challenges or pitfalls that people would maybe fall into? I mean, we just mentioned one is sort of overthinking and going too big right away, but what, what else comes to mind? Yeah, it's, it's always just getting started, right? Like, uh, even with with the, any new writing project that I have, like it's always just getting started. That's the that's the hard part. And it's not that I don't like writing the intros or I don't like getting started. Like it's just the idea, like of of getting started. Uh, it always uh, feels like you know you're a million miles away, like from the finish line. And so, 
So that's, uh, I think, like the number one hurdle. Some other things that you'd kind of already mentioned is... Um, before, you, before you go there, I'm curious, yeah. what, do you, what do you do to get over that hurdle? Like, what can someone do to get started more often and faster? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I was just asking uh, an AE, like a salesperson, a uh, similar question. And I like to answer, which was basically... Um, consistent persistence. Um, so, uh, essentially like, she's like, you just do it. (laughs) She's like, even you're not going to feel it like every day, like you're not going to feel inspired every day. And she was talking specifically to to sales and she's like the best salespeople just do it. Like they just do the calls or do the, the, the email outreach, like even when they're not feeling it. And it's like the, the gains that you get from, from doing it every day. Um, that, uh, that's the reward to it. So, um, I think, Apart from that, sometimes um, it depends on the medium, right? But I'll use written content as an example. Uh, it's like making an outline, like being like, okay, I can I can just make an outline. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's not scary. And so, uh, but then once once you have like that the outline, then the writing part's not scary, right? So it's just like one step at a time. Um, of I don't have to do it all today, but I'm gonna do like one part of it today. Um, I think the second thing that helps is <laughs> when I imagine like being like a day before the deadline or hours before the deadline uh, and being in that place um, that I don't like to be. And so that can help uh, that that can help just like get on the right track of, um, okay, like I'll, I'll just do step one today. Cause I, I know that I'm just going to put it off again tomorrow. Like I have to do it today. Um, and you know, and once you're doing it, like I, I typically like doing it. And so it's just getting over that hurdle. Yeah, so s- sure. since since we're going down this path, um, I have to ask a LinkedIn related question because it relates to what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you you mentioned consistent persi- consistent persistence. Is that the same mantra that you would use or that you do use for creating and generating the content that you share on LinkedIn as a thought leader? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I would say it depends on like what stage of the journey that you're at too. So, um, at the, at the beginning and it's actually been, I think tomorrow, (laughs) funny enough, like I think tomorrow is like a year from when I was like, okay, I'm going to post every day, right? Like on LinkedIn. So, so it's been almost a full year now. And, um, when I started, I, I just had to decide, you know, I just had to say, okay, I am going to, to post every day for the rest of this year. And I, like, I won't commit, but beyond that, that, but at least. Does that include weekends? Question, curious. That, yeah, that at the time that, that included weekends. So, um, so, so yeah, so I was just like going all in. I don't think you have to do that, by the way. I think plenty of people are taking off their weekends and like, in retrospect, I might, um, I'm, (laughs) I might, uh, advise that, but, um, but it depends on where you are. So I was, I think at like sub a thousand followers maybe. And so, um, yeah, so I, I, I recognized, I think like the opportunity of, um, of posting on weekends because essentially you get, um, lower supply, higher demand, right? So people are still scrolling at that time and seeing the content, but less people are creating. Especially um, if you're targeting the, the C-suite or the, the leaders in whatever industry, like that's when they're actually active. Mm, yeah, no, so that's like a good time. point. Yeah, they're busy during the, their heads down, maybe like during the, mm-hmm. um, during the week. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, one final question, then I think it's time for our lightning round. But um, circling back to the point, and, uh, you know, you shared with us a little bit about the team structure and, and who was responsible for what and kind of the ideal number of folks uh, that can execute a, a project like this. Uh, let's talk about the tool stack that you used to execute this execute this campaign. Yeah, so um, the the tool stack uh, used to execute the webinar campaign, right? Yep. Okay. So Zoom, uh, HubSpot. So we use HubSpot for the landing pages um, to to stand those up, um, and then yeah, an agency to to cut up the video. So we didn't use. Um, didn't have didn't use a Descript, but I think that would be a good alternative, and and that's pretty much it. Word Docs, uh, Google Doc, or Google Drive. You know, that's kind of like where we kept all the assets and how to stay organized. Did you really did it. you have any social scheduling or social listening tools? 
so I, I would occasionally use HubSpot, um, but then I just found that LinkedIn doesn't like that. <laughs> like they, they don't like scheduling tools uh, very much. And um, I, I kind of liked being able to change on the fly too. Um, and so I would typically like just post um, native to the, to the platform. Okay. Awesome. Well, Camille, thank you so much. You've shown us the proof. You've gotten to the point. Now it's time for our lightning round. All right. What is the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Uh, revenue. <laughs> uh, like if it's if it's driving revenue, um, you might have you know slightly different things that you're gold on. Um, you know, for content, it might be might be traffic um, or you know, it might be, it might be signups. Um, but I think ultimately like you should be, um, driving somebody closer to, to a conversion or. Yeah. Yep. Got it. Um, what's a new marketing strategy or tactic that you're looking forward to testing out this year or something perhaps that you've already tested this year? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So, okay. So, so a couple things, I think, um, I'm really interested and I, I did this in uh, a recent podcast episode of mine, uh, interviewed somebody that's done uh, a template library. So I'm interested in, um, in exploring that and kind of exploring some other, um, uh, SEO tactics. Um, so, so those are some things. And then, yeah. And then I, I think the main thing though is focus, right? So it's like, so for me, I think there's still like lots of opportunity on LinkedIn. So it's like, staying focused is that kind of being my core <laughs> that being a, a core channel for both julie and then myself and then just adding this new uh this new podcast like it's tempting to be like oh like maybe i should be doing like a newsletter because i'm seeing other people do do that right uh, maybe i should be doing um these, these other things being on TikTok, right um, but for me like uh and just the time that i want to spend you have to consider this too like in your content creation um it makes more sense for me to just do those things better. Right. And so for now, like my podcast is still new. So doing that better. I love that answer. Um, here at Proofpoint, on a, on a side note, we said that 2021 was going to be the year of focus for us. And we actually, uh, as a company, are only engaging on LinkedIn. Um, also YouTube to house our, our podcast episodes, but, but our primary channel is LinkedIn. So I am 100% there with you and agree with that. I think that's a brilliant answer. And I think it's also smart for anyone listening out there, content creators or aspiring content creators. Think about your time commitment. Think about where you want to spend that time and where you can have the most impact. So great advice there, Camille. Um, what is a tool or platform that you use in your work and that you couldn't live without? Hmm. The the other day I said um, LastPass, but uh, our company uses a one password too. So either of those, big fan of not having to enter my, my password. <laughs> uh, so I know that's kind of a goofy one, but um, but but very true. Um, yeah, I think it's probably some of the other things that we mentioned uh, as well. Um, yeah, LinkedIn I think is obviously like a huge channel and like tech for us, and so. That's one Slack. Uh, I don't know that like we'd be able to to work like as a remote team without Slack. So those are those are my big ones. One hundred percent. What is your most favorite or least favorite business word or phrase? <laughs> um, probably least favorite is synergy, um, and that that goes way back for me. I don't I don't hear people like say it to be fair um, as much anymore, but. Um, and then like adding value, like has become a little bit of a pet peeve for me too. I'm sure I say it as well, but, um, but adding value doesn't really add very much value uh, to, to the conversation. I remember I, I wrote a, I either wrote a blog post or I started a blog post about that. Like back when it was sort of at its peak, I'm like, okay, this, that's enough. Like you're not actually adding value with your, with your value. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, synergy is one that we hear a lot on this show. And I would agree with that. Uh, but I, I also am not encountering it as much in my day-to-day -day life anymore. So I think people are getting the hint about it's that. It's kind of coming back a little bit, though, I feel Is like. it? Oh, I, I haven't yeah. noticed. Um, I feel like all right. become almost like, okay, because people haven't been saying it anymore. Oh. <laughs> all 
All right, next question. What are some of the podcasts that you listen to most frequently? Um, my favorites are State of Demand Gen. Um, I also like, uh, there's one called Top of Mind. So those are both um, marketing podcasts that I that I really enjoy. Um, my, I should probably plug, plug my podcast. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Listen to uh, content logistics. Yeah. There's, there's three episodes out right now. So awesome. Awesome. Anywhere you listen to podcasts. Sweet. All right. What, um, what are your favorite business or marketing books? Mm. Yeah. So, um, the one, one that I just read and again, like, uh, this, I guess this falls under business, but it's, a it's a sales and like life book in some ways of, um, of, um, and of course I'm like, I'm blanking on it right now, but, uh, oh yeah. So Chris Voss is like never split the difference. Um, okay. so it's, uh, it's all about like negotiation, right. And like the, the tactics like used in negotiation, but I think it really teaches like listening, like how to be a better listener. Um, and then I've also tried to use like these tactics on my, my two year old and it just doesn't really work, but um, <laughs> still, still working on that. Uh, and then, yeah. And then I think it, it also come, it can, it's also helpful for copy because copy is essentially uh, written, written sales. Right. So um, I think that's been one of the more helpful ones recently. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm in the middle of that one and that one myself has been on my nightstand for, I don't know, over a year, probably since it first came out, just finally getting to it. But it's interesting what I'm seeing now is there are a lot of, it's really spread like wildfire through the sales scene. And there's a lot of like junior sales reps that are, it's almost like they read the, the cover and like the back and maybe heard and maybe read a couple of Josh Brown posts and they're just spewing like the, the tactics without really understanding what it is. And it's kind of driving me a bit nuts. Yeah, no, no, it's, uh, it, it was probably, it's pretty different than like what I thought uh, that it would be. And like, I'm, uh, for instance, like a, a fan of like Josh Braun's stuff as well. And that's probably like what, what turned me on to I had heard about the book before and, and obviously like Chris before, but, um, but yeah, but like I said, it's really, it's really just about like good communication. Uh, and yeah. it turns out like good community, when you communicate well, like good things happen. A hundred percent. Um, I was going to say from a personal perspective, we have a five-year-old who's turning six soon. So two is tough, right? Two is really tough. Give it a few years. And then I think you'll be able to see more communication and, and negotiation. And you'll be able to use some of those tactics a little bit because we, we struggled with our daughter when she was two. But now that she's five, we're able to have much more discourse and uh, and communication. Yeah, she beats us in negotiation. All and the she does. Yeah, I, I keep to, I Yeah, keep that's saying, what I'm worried about. Yeah, I keep telling Mike, like, our daughter could be, like, our best negotiator. We do, we should just train her up and, and have her take over proof point or join us in one of these days. Yep. Um, all right. But last, last but not least, who is a B2B marketing expert that you admire on LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm trying to think if I can come up with, like, a more original answer here. Um you know, I really like uh, like Devin Reed, um, like the content strategist at Gong. Uh, I think he's I think he's really smart. Um, have talked to talked to him once before, um, but just the way that he thinks through things and um, yeah, I think his stuff uh, specifically appeals because like every every post is is great, uh, and then his long form stuff is great too, and that's really that's hard to do. I think like as, as a con content marketer to do both of those things like really well. And then how he's executed, um, for, for gong, uh, definitely have a lot of respect for him. Awesome. That's, that is a new, uh, answer that we haven't received on the show. And I like that. I like hearing who people like and, and admire and, and respect on LinkedIn. Cause there's so many great folks doing wonderful things. So Devin, uh, we'll hopefully maybe have him on the show at one point. Um, Camille, it's been so delightful to have you on the show. Um, again, we loved your rendition of the 2021 sales oddity. So if you want to give us a few bars, you can. Uh, no pressure, of course. But um, what's the best way for anyone listening today to connect with you? Yeah, you can uh, you can go find me uh, on LinkedIn. That's still the best place, uh, probably, to get a hold of me. Um, but uh, LinkedIn, Camille Trent um, should should come up. And then also, yeah, I mentioned content logistics. So like new new project for me. 
Um, but that's uh, the podcast. Um, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Of I just try and walk through like the beginning, middle and end of creating some form of content and try and walk through a different strategy every other week. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, inquiring minds want to know, will there be a follow up uh, musical number on LinkedIn that we can, we can oh, yeah, look forward I to? I didn't even address your question. Um, uh, yeah, I, I probably won't do the bars here, um, although I do have the, the piano right here. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I can commit to another musical performance, I think. Um, you heard right, it here. We're, we're going to hold you to it. You heard it here. Folks. <laughs> right. Do you have yeah. a background in music? Is that uh, is that something that uh, you can share with us? I, um, I learned, uh, yeah, I, I took piano lessons uh, growing up. And so okay. I'm not as good. I, I hesitate to tell people that because I'm not as good as I should be um, with that being my background. But, uh, but yeah, I did take some piano lessons growing up. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you've heard it here first. This is an exclusive on Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point, that Camille Trent will be releasing another LinkedIn hit. Another <laughs> um, Camille, it was lovely having you on. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing about this really exciting um, case study and success story that you did at Marketer Hire, repurposing webinar content and um, just everything that kind of went into that, the thought process behind it and the dissemination. So thank you so much. And everyone, thank you for listening. And we'll look forward to bringing you another show next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point podcast. Join us weekly for new episodes and seriously smart B2B marketing success stories. We'll show you the proof and get to the point every time. Find additional resources on the ProofPoint website, www.proofpoint.marketing, including the full episode library with show notes, guides, templates, and more great resources. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.